0: the perfect Father the most high King almighty and powerful wonderful and kind and we bless you this morning and Lord I thank you for how you have made a way for me to come to know you in the most amazing life changing way and forever eternally I will be thankful for you and you alone We bless you, Lord, and we we open our hearts to receive, not from me, but from you and you alone, the eternal word that builds us up and sets us free. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, team. Beautiful. (sighs) How is everyone this morning? If you're wondering, there is a baby on me. Some people are like, what is that in there? What's she doing? What's she hiding there? And it is mine, (laughs) if you're wondering. (laughs) Um, But this morning, I hope we are alive and well. (sighs) Alive because we live for a living God. Do we know that? Put your hands up this morning if you know that he's not just God, but he's the living God. Yeah. Um, And as we know, anything that lives um, speaks, really, in some way, whether it's creation that declares his glory, or his highest creation, which is ourselves. He speaks to us. And the other day he said to me, Melissa, I am the living God. Yes and amen. But then he said, and I am the God of the living, not the dead. And what is interesting to me is that when the living God declares himself as this in Mark 12, it's interesting because he references being the God of dead people, right? In Mark 12, he's talking to the Pharisees. And as usual, they're trying to test him, probe at him, and uh, they're, they're asking him about the uh, the brothers. You know, if one brother marries a wife, he dies. Does the next brother marry? It, it goes through the the line of brothers that would marry the wife. And then they go, but you know, in eternity, whose wife does she belong to? And um, yeah, what interests me is that Jesus is. Um, I am the God, the God of Abraham, dead, Isaac, dead, Jacob, (coughs) referencing dead people to alive people, or living people, I should say, who are breathing, walking, talking, and it's always (laughs) interesting to me how, uh, with the Pharisees uh, particularly, is that it's the dead questioning the living (laughs) on eternal life, (laughs) right? Right? totally dead to the reality that the living God is before them. And what that says to me, a few scenarios, is that um, the living, we can be alive, breathing, talking, speaking, all the rest of it, as we are today, but be dead to the living God. And then there's those who are dead in Christ, are alive today. But I reckon ultimately the Lord's glorious intention is that today while we're alive, we are alive in him. And this is today what I really want to share. Um, Because personally to me, what causes me to come alive and declare that I know the living God is that the living God lives in me and through me. That's how I know he's alive. Right? And God is not a subject, which I think within Mark 12 we hear the Pharisees talking about the subject of resurrection. In their eyes it's a subject, in Christ's eyes it's a reality, right? And he actually says to them, you don't know your scriptures and you deny the power of God. See, we, we, we can hear and know about resurrection life, and it can be just a subject, but it is a reality, and it's an empowering life that demonstrates the living God, because he's God of the living, not the dead. So within this, I had to ask myself personally, if I believe I know the living God, then what's the evidence in my life? Because evidence is tangible, right? Right? In a courtroom, when they ask for the evidence, it's a it's it's a tangible thing that we have to hand over because it proves the testimony, and so that's really what I just want to share this morning. Um, it's amazing. Last week, who was here last week? Um, cool. Joe and Ollie both shared pictures that they they got. Um, or Ollie had a, a brilliant word. Um, and. Joe shared about um, in the morning as a family they were eating breakfast and um, a, a, it was a parrot I think that came and it flew into this window and it it like got knocked over got it got wounded and she was just talking about how she felt that um, you know for some of us that was us that had been soaring and flying and next minute hit a window and. Took us by surprise, but the opportunity of what that presented was that the family, Joe's family, could come and take that bird and nurture it. Well, it's a beautiful picture, and and actually, before she got up, uh, I know Joe. When she has pictures, you want to be hearing and you want to be listening because it's profoundly accurate. And I said, Lord, Joe's going up. If if she whatever she says, I pray will confirm the message for next week. Hallelujah to the point. I was like, yes, Joe. That's the body for you working, right, together. Um, so I'm going to start with this. Um, a few months ago, my little girl, Shyla, uh, turned four years old. And the, the Saturday was a big party, it was a good time. By Sunday night, uh, my husband, Kirk, was throwing up, diarrhea early hours of the morning. It was hideous. And I was watching him being like, oh, you poor guy. And then next minute it was me on the toilet and we're tag teaming. It was awful. Like the most dreadful night. Um, And uh, at the time I was 30 weeks pregnant. Okay. And so this thing that was happening in us, a virus, uh, which we later found out was norovirus, was so savage. It just like took hold of us. And it was the sudden Surprise, out of nowhere! One minute we're feeling fine, next minute terribly ill. And so um, the stomach pain for me became so severe it started feeling like contractions. And like I said, I was thirty weeks at the time. And um, this went on until about three a.m. in the morning. And at that point, we thought, right, we better call Healthline. Called Healthline. They were worried. Then they found out I was thirty weeks pregnant. Then they were really worried. And they they said, right, we're sending an ambulance. Ambulance arrived twenty minutes later. Um, my awesome parents-in-law had picked Shyla up four in the morning. Um, I I was in the ambulance and rushed off to hospital, straight to the maternity ward because I was thirty weeks. Um, and my my very sick husband, poor guy, was sucking it in and <laughs> following me in the car, worried for me. Um, but got there, and uh, you know the staff were amazing at the hospital. Um, and it's in these times that. For Kirk and I, we really realized how blessed we are with people. I had my discipleship group um, praying. My parents were visiting me. It was just a lot of love in that time and um, a lot of care. But, you know, I, I I came through that and I was physically well and alive and truly grateful, right? But if I was really honest, the confidence, my confidence in the Lord towards labor... Was wounded. And I was like that bird that was soaring happily and then bam, into the window, wounded. Oh. And you know, I was thinking to myself, <clears throat> it, it's when we don't understand things, right? Um, or when our view gets obstructed in some way that we find ourselves, ooh, a little bit separated from the Lord. And you know, to think that I would have to endure that pain again. But I mean, this was a combo, right? This was contractions, diarrhea, vomiting. Don't wish it on anyone. (laughs) Um, But, you know, the, the thought of going through that again totally weakened me. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that again. But more than this, right, I knew in my heart that it wasn't my confidence towards labor that was wounded. It was actually my confidence towards the Lord. And I don't know about you, but... I can easily disguise my thoughts as, and you know, be like, I'm losing confidence in labor. But actually, I don't know about you guys, but that, the Holy Spirit doesn't skim the surface, right? He's got this thing, right? And he goes and he dives deep into my heart and he reveals the truth about what's really going on. And, uh, you know, I, I love the Spirit. I love what he does. And he's so fervent in the ministry of reconciliation. So fervent, his goal is to maintain the unity of God's people with the Lord. And to, to ignore his promptings or to, to disguise it as something else absolutely grieves him. Because the Lord craves that intimacy, the oneness, the absolute oneness, and that's the continued journey that we are on. Um, but the Spirit won't, won't leave it. If you allow him, he'll allow you uh, he'll go there. And you know I'm, I love the psalm, and the message puts it this way on uh, talking about David. And David says, "When things were going great, I crowed. I've got it made." I'm God's favorite. <laughs> and he made me king of the mountain. Uh, then you looked away and I fell to pieces. And I relate to this. I relate to that absolute joy and ecstasy of being one with the Lord. And you just, you know, you know that you give him pleasure. And you know that he, that he has pleasure from you, you know, um, or that you take pleasure in him. And so I'm not talking about um, becoming a roller coaster of emotions where you're being tossed to and fro from life's circumstances um, and suddenly doubting whether God exists or my salvation, but I'm actually talking about righteous living, where we are so intimately connected with the Lord, where he is our home, and there is a slight turning in our hearts, where it might be small, but it feels like a gap. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And it's like suddenly we go from being in the center, him in the center, that now we feel like we're on the borderline of his being, right? And then I thought, another picture I got was, it's like being in the temple, and your home is in the Holy of Holies, that's where you dwell most of the time, and then I find myself on the porch having a sulk, <laughs> right, <laughs> sort of a little bit out of it, but you're not out of it, it's like, you know, but, but that intimacy is so so deep that the spirit is so sensitive to when it picks up that something's amiss, right? In Proverbs it says, A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the Lord. And it's, yeah, it's it feels devastating when, when I experience a slight separation, not because the Lord has left me, but because I've misunderstood something or I've been wounded in a way. Um, and I think the reason why this sort of thing affects me, right, is because it's a living relationship, okay, it's not just a robot doing what he says, but it's a living relationship, anyway, I realized I had to make my way back to his heart, and I had to hear from him directly his great intention, his rich love that calls me to comprehend it, which is of an experience when it talks about that, when he says how long, how high, how wide my love is, we can test that length of love, because he's long suffering, and we can test how um, how high, or when we plumb to the bottom, how like right to the bottom, we can find that his um, hand is not too short to save. Right, it's in it's in these times that we we experience this love and the the magnitude of it um, to really comprehend it. So anyway, four years ago, this was this was part of the wounding. So I'm just going to give some context. Right, four years ago, um, I, my little uh, my firstborn Shyla, um, the Lord really had to minister to me about labor. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Any other woman here? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, I was a chicken. Just going to be honest, there's no other word for it. I was a chicken, um, and I was scared. But um, at the same time, somehow, um, I chose a midwife who was really over her career. (laughs) Really over it. And she confessed, actually, that she was over it, and that I was the last one she was seeing. (laughs) Right? She couldn't wait to finish up. And anyway, so this great enthusiasm uh, (laughs) bared much fruits of negligence, really. She missed my appointments. She was always late, uh, just a bit careless in in treatments, and pretty much (laughs) had this thing with my husband. Like, she had this mindset that men within, like, women giving labor, you know, going through birth. It's like the men; they just don't understand. They, you know, they're pretty much useless. So, any like, every time, me and Kirk were together, snide remarks just right at Kirk, like this. Anyway, the poor guy. But y- you know Kirk, right? He's, he'll just speak straight to it. But um, anyway, so um, after years and years of her work, um, she was at this place, and I thought, man. It's my first child, it's my first labor. I was kind of hoping a nurturing type mother, sort of like a lovely older lady would take me under her wing. Um, And and especially for this new experience, but somehow, great, it's the chicken and the old duck. Right, (laughs) and this... This is what I'm going into labor with, okay? Um, and I was thinking, why can I not have like a strong eagle, you know, but like that nurturing under my wing? But, but this, you know, the Lord had to speak to me, who made you? Who made this, this baby in your womb? I am the author and perfecter of your life and of your salvation and for your baby in your womb. So do not depend on man. And I see this today. You know, there's, I was talking to my current midwife, and she was saying how there's, you know, the midwives they're constantly um, are blamed when things happen, when things go wrong, or, or you know, there's a loss, which which is heartbreaking. But it, it, someone has to be blamed, and it goes to the midwives. But the Lord said to me, "Do not put your trust in man. I am your salvation. I am your maker." And so he spoke to me about that, and um, more than that, just how um, with perseverance, suffering is worth the joy that comes, that is set before us. And it was such a great word, because that thing, that word, that eternal word, got me through that first labor. Many divine moments, um, and to this day, I absolutely delight in it, but The point I want to make here is that the Lord spoke to me very clearly four years ago on that. And that was my confidence. That was like, he's with me, he's in it, and I'm not alone. So here I am, right, with this, knowing that um, I've had this experience uh, four years ago, where for me personally, it was the closest experience to the tiniest measure of knowing what Christ was gunning for when he went on the cross. Right, that that suffering by the end of it, he would have his bride. By suffering and labour, we have the fruit of our labour, right? The joy. Um, and so here I am before the Lord as my refuge, and I'm asking myself, and I'm because I'm annoyed at myself. I'm annoyed at how I'm am feeling, you know. And I'm like, how did I land up here again? Um, I have to ask Him again, you know, to see me through labour. Even though he spoke so clearly, I've lost confidence. But you know, the command in Hebrews is very clear. And it says, do not throw your confidence away. Do not lose your confidence because it holds great reward. You need to persevere, and listen to this, so that after you have done God's will, you will receive what he has promised. And, you know, the word perseverance and confidence totally stick out to me. My daughter at Kendi, she um, won a little prize for, being, for having perseverance. Shiloh, perseverance, right? We all know that. But it linked, it, uh, it dawned on me, that's what confidence in the Lord does. It, it causes us to persevere because we know we belong. Love, we know, we're confident in him. And as soon as confident is, confidence is attacked, we slow down, we get stagnant, paralysis takes place. And he says, my righteous one will live by faith. And listen to this, he says, if he shrinks back, I will take no pleasure in him. And I know we we can read this, and I've read this before at other times and thought, a bit heavy, a bit harsh. But actually, I look at it now and I think, wow, the Lord is urging us to rely on him, urging us to to completely trust him. To, he, he's saying, like, test me because I will reward you for your confidence in me. Um, it's, it's, it's love, right? And it actually brings him pleasure when his people are that dependent on him. He's looking for faith. Faith that says not only is he a God that exists, but the God that rewards those who diligently seek him. And I can't get away from that heart posture is what makes him the living God. Because he wants to be involved in the very piece of art that he has made. We are, not, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What I'm learning very quickly and seriously is that unbelief and fear leave us dead it leaves us for dead, and it has no worry for us, so I don't know why we have worry for it, right? I asked the Lord why unbelief was so offensive to him, because he calls it sin, and the other day he said to me, Melissa, unbelief calls me a liar. When, when I heard that, it, uh, it, it, it creates something in us to go, I'm going to walk carefully, and accurately. because everything I say and demonstrate is reflecting the true God and I do not want to live a life of lies but it's either that or if I don't live in the true way he's a liar that's what I'm telling people right so I just want to just uh, talk about what the dead look like because In Ephesians it says, when we are dead in our sin and our unbelief, we walk and function in the futility of our minds. Futility talks about purposeless, being purposeless, right? It also talks about being empty. As people of God, we should not be empty, and we should not be purposeless at all. Where it talks about our understanding is darkened, and this deadening effects alienates us from the life of God. It causes us to be ignorant to the spiritual activity that is actually amongst us because of the blindness of our hearts. And it also talks about how we become past feeling, which actually means we cease to care. So we walk however. We think however. There's no attention to the eternal things the accuracy of the Lord. And I think the example of Mark 12 with the Pharisees, I think this is exactly it. They are blind to the living God before them. They cannot hear. They're asking questions that are reflecting their futile thinking. Right? But he says, Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you lights. Walk in wisdom. So, This took me to the Lord where I had to acknowledge and confess my hidden fears. I confided in him, my secret thoughts, my needs and my lack of understanding. And I allowed his spirit to clear the ground of any obstruction. Carefully fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. And I dwelt with him day in and day out over the next few weeks, praying, hearing, and responding. I gave him all the time and the space to minister as I was desperate for his counsel to settle me. Right? In these times where we're feeling worried or anxious or fearful, honestly, it's the, the direct word of the Lord ministering to you is the only thing that's really going to set us free. Honestly. Um, and you know, it's, it's not to come to him and be, I'm sorry that I'm here again. Because you know what it says? It says it's good that the heart is established by grace. Right? Not works by grace, by his grace and his grace alone. In those few weeks of taking refuge in him, communing and confiding in him, I also shared with a few other members in this body about my confidence and labor. Um, in this time, he spoke to me in Ephesians. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up, and placed us in heavenly places with him. That in the ages to come, he would show us his exceeding riches, his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace we have been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand (laughs) that we should walk in them. And when I heard this, two words stuck out to me. The first one, heavenly places. In the scripture, it doesn't talk about the heavenly places being as a destination for his redeemed people. But it actually talks about the spiritual sphere and activity that is around us in everyday happenings. It's not talking about heaven. Can we hear this? So right now, we have the sphere of spiritual activity and action happening right now as we speak. And let me tell you, a rich life knows this and taps into it. And lives from it and through it. And so that in that moment, that gave me confidence to think, you know, when that bug was having a field day with us, there was something else going on, right, in the spiritual. And that's what I needed to ask the Lord, because that's where my understanding comes from. Right? So... <clears throat> the next word that really spoke to me was workmanship. And that word means, uh, comes from the word poema, which is poem, and that means to make. And this word signifies uh, that um, to make a product or a design that is produced by an artist. And it emphasizes that God is our master designer. And before Christ, we had no rhyme or reason no purpose, no aim in life and empty. But when when we came to know Christ, our lives take order. Our lives become uh, they it is of design. It's not random, okay? And that was a big thing for me. Um, because that side swipe, like that parrot coming into the window, it, it you know, it's sort of comes out of nowhere and you think, oh, I wasn't ready for that, I wasn't prepared for that. But you know, our lives aren't made up of some random random things happening to us. There is absolute um, intention behind everything, and that gives me confidence in the Lord. So while the Lord was doing this work in me, he started forming the name of this one in my womb. And between Kirk and I, we um, hadn't actually settled on a name yet. We had one in mind, but it was still sort of up in the air. And um, he, the Lord told me that he would specifically name this one. One Saturday night I was out with um, my lovely friends and they were all saying, so what's the name? Have you thought of this name? You know, all the excitement. And um, I got home that night and I was like, Lord, look, I really need to know if this is the name. Like, it's been months. Like, just, just tell me. Like, you know? Um, and I wanted it to be settled. And I said to the Lord, the only way I'm going to know that this is you is that Kirk is going to hear it from you and he's going to come to me and go, got the name, right? So anyway, I go, I go to bed that night. I wake up and the, all night I had this word, Aitua, I tour ringing in my head. I and I thought, oh, and I woke up and I. Initially, I was like, right. I know it's a Maori word. I know Shyla always sings it in the anthem off key every day, <laughs> so I know that much about it, right? Um, that day was a Sunday, and um. After the service, um, some of the elders and uh, the the marshes uh, were laying hands on Kirk and I and praying over the labor and over baby. And um, I don't know what, well, I do now, but what Paul was praying. But that night, we went home. Kirk didn't know I had the dream. Um, And I wasn't going to share it with him because I didn't want to influence anything. Um, But Kirk said to me, I heard the name today. I said, really? He said, yeah, while Paul was praying, I heard the name. Um, And I said, what is it? And he said it, right? And I was like, wow. I was like, because I had a dream last night. And I shared it with him, Aitua, Aitua. Talking to Tess Willis, good friend of mine, so so loves on my spirit. (laughs) So great having friends like that in the spirit. Anyway, she said to me, you know what? When Paul was praying, I felt like he said her name out loud. I said, great, can you remember what he prayed? Because I, I got hold of Paul. Do you remember that? And I was like, what did you say? What was the scripture? Because Kirk's like, this is it. He's like, I can't remember. I'm like, you're joking, right? So I've got two people that are both like three, heard the name, uh, have no idea what the actual words were. Um, so anyway, we left it at that. Um, and the name was now confirmed. Because for me, my husband was a yes, and not only that, but the Lord had confirmed it, but so did his body, okay, which is awesome. Um, So I had the name, now I need the baby. 15th of April, um, I was sitting with the Lord, and at this stage I was pacing myself as the expectancy of baby was coming, and I, I knew the arrival was peaking. And I wrote in my journal, it's amazing how in the waiting of something about to happen, it allows space for the imagination. It allows things to test your confidence, to, to test things in the waiting. And the Lord's clever, right? He's waiting for those things to come to an end so that we can be silent and know that the wisdom of God, Beginning, the beginning of wisdom um, starts with humility, where you're quiet. You're, you remember you're nothing before him, right? He brings us into something, but it's by his word and his word alone. Anyway, and um, I was asking the Lord, what do I do with myself in the meantime? So it's like you're waiting expectantly, but you kind of want to make use of your time for when that pivotal moment happens, you're prepared. And I thought, I wonder if this is why the Lord says, be ripe and ready for when I come, but I won't give you the dates. Because it creates this expectancy, but it's like, use your time wisely, wisely. Because when I come, it's to be ready. We were to be ready. So he gave me, um, in response to this, Psalm 91. He's laughing. Paul's laughing. He knows why. See, what I love about the Psalms is that they're poems. Right? And they're a picture of the artist and his handiwork in dialogue through the ups and downs, the wide and narrow spaces of life. It's the living God interacting with his people, reminding them that he's in the intricacies of their lives. How can he not be when he's the master designer, right? It says in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. In verse 9, where it talks of refuge, it means shelter and place of trust. It means to flee for protection and to confide in. The word dwelling place indicates a retreat and it, it describes the security, listen to this, of intimate, intimate dwelling together as in marriage. Isn't that beautiful? That When we confide in the Lord, it's, it's to be like a husband and wife that share the deepest parts of themselves, the fears, the needs, the worries, the great things, but it's that intimate dwelling where we flee to and not run from, and that's what confidence does. It causes us to flee to. This was the last thing I wrote in my journal, and the next day I went into labor, this labor that I've been waiting for, right? <laughs> the coming labor. I was um, here, they started 9am in the morning, I was here and while Greg's preaching um, <clears throat> the, that awesome message, the promise of a lifetime, which I thought, timely, I'm having contractions every 10 minutes and I'm checking that clock because I didn't have anything with me telling the time. I thought, ooh, we're 10 minutes, we're 10 minutes apart and, and while I'm labouring, I'm feeding right? And it's awesome. It's awesome because it's preparing. It's just preparing. And I I knew it was on. I went to Kirk and I said, look, I think it's on. And he got super excited. Um, And then I got in the car and I drove home. Now, a few of my friends were like, what were you thinking driving home? But I had the most beautiful time with the Lord by myself. It was fantastic. Um, But anyway, got home. These contractions started revving up from 10 minutes next minute, we were four minutes, I was meant to have a family lunch that day, and I think I still said to my family, oh, come come over, we'll cook some food, I think in my head with Shiloh, I laboured crazy hours, and I had no idea this was going to speed up, anyway, so now I'm like four minutes apart, calling the midwife, it's on, um, she's like, take a shower, I'm like, no lady, I'm making it, I'm going to the hospital, like, <laughs> this is on, right, anyway, and I, I walk out, and um, I make it into the driveway, and all, we were quite open with the neighbours, like the neighbours can see us, you anyway, know, I had this crazy contraction, I was like, Ugh! and I was like, right, go back into the house, like labour it out quickly, and then try and make it for the car again, <laughs> anyway, got in the car, and I said to Kirk, look, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it, I don't think I'm going to make it to the hospital, and he's like, we're going to the hospital, as he, as he says, and I'm like, great, great idea, got in there, anyway, seatbelt on, and uh, now we're driving, now I've got Shiloh in the back seats, uh, and I'm, I'm making such a noise, such a noise. And she's like, it's okay, mummy. Stay calm, mummy. I love you, mummy. I'm like, yeah, girl, you'll know one day, one day. You know, but anyway, so, so that was happening. My mum's in the car trying to be helpful, which she always is just by being present. Um, and Kirk's driving, so focused, massaging my back. Um, and we got to Mana Par- uh, Parramatta Mobile. And next minute, I'm feeling her head sticking out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's here. She's here. And um, we were dropping Shyla off with Kate and Andy, <laughs> and my father-in-law, he, he's, he's tall, and he's, you know, and he walks like this, and he was all excited to see us, because he knew we were going, and he's like, hey, waving, and Kirk's like no, no, just take the child, take the car. Anyway, we pretty much threw it at him, and he was like, whoa, whoa, what's going on, you know? Anyway, so we now are driving to Kenapuru Hospital. This one is well and truly on her way. And um, at 3.30, this little thing popped out. And as she came, I grabbed her and I received her. And I lifted her up, and... (laughs) I was like, my baby, you're here, and you're perfect. And I don't mean like perfect looking, even though she was, and that immediate confidence in the sense of her color was great, she made a breath, she was breathing, um, she made a a little cry, so I knew that was all okay, but I received her and I put her on my chest. And I was like, wow, Lord, you have literally hand-delivered Mia Bella Somme in my hands. This. Do you know the word deliver means alongside? Right? Four years ago. I feared that old duck delivering my baby, right, in my chicken state. And, um, (laughs) you know, and the Lord was gracious and he worked in me with that. But this time it was like, how about no midwife, (laughs) right? Yeah, no medical intervention, no human aid. Do you know, not one hand touched her before mine, except his. I was astounded to go back to Psalm 91, the last thing I wrote before going into labor. And in the verse it says, I shall cover you with my feathers, and under my wings you shall take refuge. I was like, there's my eagle, right? (laughs) There's my eagle. (laughs) Because the command in Hebrews is clear, do not lose confidence in me, because there is great reward. Thank you. You need to persevere so that after you have done God's will, you will receive what he has promised. I sent my current midwife a text on Midwives day. And I said, thank you for your service. Thank you for the uh, pregnancy and the aftercare. Don't worry about labor. God had that covered. She was like, thank the Lord. His divine hand was in it. I don't know if she knows the Lord. She does now, I'm sure, right? When we have lost confidence and ask ourselves, how did we land up here again? I want to encourage us. It's not to dismiss the work he has already done, but it's to deepen the work. To take us from being confident in him to having conviction of steel and who the Lord is that he is living and God of the living people. When Christ is our center, the spirit becomes the radius, the straight line that shows us we exist and we find our life in the circumference of the kingdom reality. And this life found in him has divine capacity. When when he is alive in us, we see him around us in every circumstance. Right? If he... If he told me that I was going to have birth in the car, no, right? No. But divine capacity says, trust me, and I'm going to show you what I'm made of, right? I did not need any more convincing that the Lord was working in me through this during the pregnancy and in Psalm 91, but... The day, a few days after I had given birth, I opened up a card that my mother-in-law had written to me, and she quotes Psalm 91. She has no idea about Psalm 91 being the recurring theme. But then he just went on and on, right? A week later, we're here at the Sunday service with Mia Bella, and I'm talking to Paul Costello, and we're chatting about the whole car experience. And he reminds me, what he prayed over us, right? At the time, he couldn't remember. But he starts talking about the psalm that says that God is like our refuge, is our refuge in in the the feathers and the the, the being covered by it. And I said to him, it's not Psalm 91, is it? He was like, yes. I was like, oh my goodness. I like burst into praise. I was so excited. It was amazing. Now, remember, Tess had also heard uh, the name being said out loud which was Mia Bella that Kirk had heard and the dream that I had the night before that word Atua it is a Maori word pronounced Aitua there's two words with two meanings beautiful God Mia Bella is my beautiful psalm so I knew I knew it was him Paul also talked about the word workmanship and how that means a poem, which I knew because that's, in that moment when the Lord talked to me about workmanship, it, it inspired the name for me at Bellassonne. Seriously, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I don't. That word is diminishing in my vocab because the more and more I'm seeing it as the evidence that God is living and alive in his people. Con, help but feel, mere Psalm, is the reflection of the dwelling place and the intimate dialogue between the master designer and his art. And he he has handcrafted us to live a life of higher order, but to be in dialogue, confiding in the intricacies of life. He sealed my heart with this. Because she has loved me, this is Psalm 91, therefore I will deliver her. I will set her securely on high because she has known my name. She will call upon me and I will answer her. I will be with her in trouble and I will rescue her and honor her. With a long life I will satisfy her and let her see my salvation. If we believe he is a living God, we will flee to him to receive life. We will cling to him for dear life and we will see that he is life. This morning, um, I do want to open up the floor for prayer and ministry. Um, maybe uh, for you, like me, you, you've had moments where you flew into the window and it's not your confidence. I, I, I ask that you bring it and confess it before the Lord. Or if there's something you need confirmation on, let the body pray for you. If you've lost um, intimacy with the Lord, do you feel... Let the Holy Spirit just give you understanding. I'll just end with this. Ephesians says when Paul prays, I pray the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you will know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, what is exceeding what his exceeding greatness of power towards us. Listen to this. Who believe. According to the works of his mighty power, it's his work in us, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in heavenly places. For those who believe, no proof is necessary. Okay? But for those who don't believe, no proof is possible. I'm going to ask us to believe him today on his word. Make him your refuge, your dwelling place. Confide in him and let the spirit clear the ground because there is so much life to be found in him and through him. I asked Haley to pray over the word Aitua in her spiritual tongue. And I asked her, don't look the word up or anything in the text. And she came back to me and she said, Atua, the beautiful works of God, works that cannot, that, that only come from him, works that can only come from him, that are ordained by him. Lord wants such a pure relationship with us that is untainted, not touched by man's opinions, not not intruded on, not under obligation, but just a pure love of deepest intimacy that we can have and receive on the earth today that we are made alive in him. So I'm just gonna um, ask the elders to come in lay hands and pray and I'm going to invite Hayley now if she can come and pray over the body Um, and the floor's open and I'd love to pray with anyone. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord.